Welcome to The Social Contract, a new podcast created by author George S. Corey and the artist Cleo. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode two of The Social Contract. I'm actor, writer, producer Tavia Gilbert, and I'm your host for this love-themed episode. A quick recap about what The Social Contract is all about. This monthly podcast is for political junkies who might have forgotten just how fun, and often comical, politics and Washington's political figures can be. The podcast was created as a companion piece of sorts to George's first book, Presidential Conversations, which was inspired by and features original illustrations by the artist Cleo, who you'll meet in this episode. Cleo's work accompanies all of our podcast episodes, a side note, you can find Presidential Conversations wherever you find your books and audiobooks, and we'll put links in the show notes. And you don't need to be familiar with the book to thoroughly enjoy the Social Contract podcast. But in keeping with the spirit of the book, our show features fictional, often satirical send-ups of the hot-button political issues of the day. I am especially excited about this episode because it marks the month of my favorite holiday. Valentine's Day, and that's no exaggeration. I truly do genuinely love it. Before we dive into our story this week, which I must say is a complete delight, let's conjure Eros to help us reminisce about presidential love stories from, where else? The White House. Among our modern presidents and first ladies, I think Barack and Michelle Obama really stand out as a couple that are still absolutely wild about each other. I think it's downright adorable the way he lights up when he talks about her, and how she calls him her boo. But let us not forget the longest-lasting presidential marriage in history. Jimmy and Rosalind Carter have been together for 75 years, 76 in July. For 75 years of marriage, we've always gone deeper in our love for one another, says the former president. Listen to these words from Jimmy's poem, Rosalind, from his 1994 poetry collection, Always a Reckoning. She'd smile, and birds would feel that they no longer had to sing. Or it may be I failed to hear their song. Within a crowd, I'd hope her glance might be for me, but I knew that she was shy and wished to be alone. I'd pay to sit behind her, blind to what was on the screen, and watch the image flicker upon her hair. I'd glow when her diminished voice would clear the muddled thoughts, like lightning flashing in a gloomy sky. The nothing in my soul with her aloof was changed to foolish fullness when she came to be with me. With shyness gone and hair caressed with gray, her smile still makes the birds forget to sing and me to hear their song. Ah, oh, that is devotion. I love it. Both the Carters and the Obamas formed their bonds long before their White House years. But did you know there was a president who got married inside the White House? President Grover Cleveland may be best known for being elected the 22nd president in 1884, losing his re-election bid, then running again and winning four years later. But what may be less known is this. 
elected in his first term as a bachelor, Grover married Francis Folsom, whose nickname was Frank, and who was 28 years his junior in the White House. Oh, there may have been some robbing the cradle snark, but the American people ultimately fell in love with Frank, just like Grover did. And their marriage greatly reinvigorated his presidency. Fun side note, especially because we celebrate chocolate as well as love around Valentine's Day. Baby Ruth candy bars are named after Grover and Frank's daughter, Ruth Cleveland, a lasting tribute to their love. Let's turn our attention to this month's featured story called Keeping the Faith. It was conceived by George as a valentine to the current administration. Robin Miles voices Kamala Harris, and Stephen DeRosa steps into the roles of both Presidents Biden and Trump. Now that's a feat. This story has a very cool musical finale, for which there's an equally cool music video featuring Cleo's Heart Art Gallery. And we'll link that in the show notes so you can check it out yourself. Without further ado, I present Keeping the Faith. Let's listen and enjoy together. You campaign in poetry, you govern in prose. Mario Cuomo, former governor of New York. The ringing of an alarm clock startles Donald Trump out of his slumber. Oh, thank God. I was having the worst dream, he mumbles to himself. They were saying that I lost the election and that sleepy Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, what a piece of work she is, won. Trump shudders at the very thought of it. It's still dark outside, eerily so. He hears chanting from some remote corner of the White House. So he rises up out of bed, clad in red, white, and blue pajamas, and a sleep cap emblazoned with the slogan, Make America Great Again, and follows the strange sound all the way to the Oval Office. He creaks open the door and finds his aforementioned nemeses, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, seated on the floor in a socially distanced group of people encircling the famous presidential seal. Their hands are steepled, their legs crossed in prayer pose, chanting through their masks. Um. Um, um. Trump wonders if he's still dreaming. For once in his life, perhaps the only time in his life, he's at a loss for words. He begins to recognize some of the people in this yoga circle behind their masks. There's Janet Yellen and Ron Klain. What a loser, Trump thinks to himself. And John Kerry. Another loser. After a moment of silence, Biden addresses the group in his folksy and affable manner. Now that the election is behind us, it's time to govern. Let's do so in prose and poetry. Look, folks, it's a new day in America and a new era for the American people. The country's divided. We're all suffering crisis fatigue. And we're still facing a deadly pandemic that has put tremendous pressure on our states, that has ravaged our families and businesses, our hospitals, schools, and nursing homes. But we, as a nation, will lick this thing. 
as we've been saying these past, I don't know how many months, we're gonna build back better. But we have our work cut out for us, folks. There's the economy, the global climate change crisis, not to mention standing up for human rights and restoring our reputation, both here and abroad. It's a tall order. But as my grandpa up in Scranton used to say, as I'd be running out the door of my grandparents' house, he'd say, keep the faith, Joey. And then my grandmother, God love her, would call out, no, Joey, spread it. I never forgot those words, and that's what we have to do for this country. And now, Biden says, I'm going to turn it over to this young lady to my right. She is the embodiment of everything that is still possible in this great nation of ours. She is the first woman, first black woman, first woman of South Asian descent, and the first daughter of immigrants ever to hold this title. Friends, I give you Vice President Kamala Harris. No! Trump hollers, making his presence known. That is not possible. Mike Pence is the vice president, (laughs) and I, Donald Trump, am the president. Kamala howls boisterously. That is a good one, Donald. But actually... Trump interrupts. What is even happening here? Kamala raises her finger. I'm speaking. You have no right. I'm speaking, okay? I'm speaking. Now I agree with everything that Joe just said. But we also have to address the, the elephant in the room. Who? Me? Trump pleads. A big part of a Harris-Biden, I'm sorry, a Biden-Harris administration is going to be about empathy, okay? We're still grieving for our friends and family lost to this pandemic, for the loss of our daily routines and social interactions. Now we have to acknowledge the collective anxiety this pandemic, under your leadership, has caused. So let's show some empathy for ourselves and for others, okay? And let me tell you something, Donald. Our first step is to show empathy to you. Difficult as that may be, I can't think of a better symbol of this administration's compassion towards every single American, even you. What do you mean, Even me, demands Trump. Kamala summons her infectious laugh, explaining. (laughs) Well, you're the only one left from your administration still in the White House. Everyone else is left, even Melania. We felt bad, so we allowed you to sleep here. Kamala looks at her watch. It's time to go, Donald. It really is. You people are sick, Trump spews, with your... He makes air quotes, masks and your rights and your electoral norms. Trump plays at wringing his hands, theatrically beckoning the gods. Oh no, crisis fatigue. Oh no, COVID, which I had, by the way, and let me tell you, isn't so bad. Why don't you and your cohort, Kamila, bring on the kittens and puppies and butterflies and rainbows? It's all the big bad orange man's fault, right? Are you kidding me? Now get your crew of socialist sycophants and get the hell out of my Oval Office. I've got work to do. Oh, this is getting surreal now, Kamala says. He's not playing. Come on, man. 
pleads Biden. The American people have spoken, and you lost. Fake news, yells Trump. I'm getting tired of all this fake news malarkey of yours, Biden snaps. I've dealt with a lot of bad dudes in my lifetime. Did I ever tell you about Corn Pop? So don't make me have to get tough with you. Yeah, real tough, smirks Trump. Who do you think you are? Adam West in the Batman TV show? Kamala shakes her head. Everything is a television show to you, Donald, isn't it? I guess they don't call it the boob tube for nothing. Kamala here can be Batgirl, mocks Trump. And who do you got back there for your boy Wonder? Buttigieg? What are you guys going to do? Put on your shiny little superhero costumes and kapow me out of here? Kamala rises up in a slow, deliberate glide. Hartley, Donald. As she fixes her eyes on Trump, the doors to the Oval Office burst open and the Secret Service storm in. Just then, Trump jumps in his sleep. Whoa, he exclaims. What the hell kind of dream was that? A dream within a dream? A chill runs through him. More like a nightmare within a nightmare. Or was it? It's me, Kamala. It is my honor to introduce the President of the United States, Joe Biden. Biden. As my grandpa up in Scranton used to say, as I'd be running out the door of my grandparents' house, he'd say, keep the faith, Joey. And then my grandmother, God love her, would call out, no, Joey, spread it. Spread it. Spread it. It's a new day in America. 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 For the American people. 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 Keeping the keeping the faith. Spreading the spreading the faith. Better the better the Spreading the spreading the hope. Better the better the Spreading the spreading the joy. Donald J. Trump, and I don't approve this message. It's a battle for the soul of the nation. 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 You can't get rid of me that easily. For the soul of the nation. Nation. As Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say, back when people actually went to see his movies, I'll be back. For the soul of the nation. 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 Do you think? 
sink. Let the healing begin. How fun was that? I just adore it. I want to introduce you now to the astoundingly talented woman you just heard. She is a golden voice, and she's a Grammy nominee, and she is my very dear friend, Robin Miles. Robin, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hearing your voice and being in conversation with you makes my heart happy. This is good, yes. A little love fest. So the song, In Keeping the Faith, you sound mm-hmm. amazing. You really do. And I love oh, all of the you. different, your, your performance you. of Kamala is uh-huh. <laughs> just transcendent. It's got the echoey disco diva electronic vibe. What was it like to sing in that audio story? How did you make that song come together? I always find it a challenge to sing in a booth that's set up for audiobooks because it's you're so naked oh completely and if I hear myself (laughs) slightly flat oh my gosh I want to beat myself up I want to do it again and again it's uh, very much a challenge to sing and essentially like improvise Stephen and I were improvising back and forth and I think the only Mm -hmm. way to really do it is just to keep doing it to do it once and then laugh about it (laughs) and then do it again yeah, and laugh some more about it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the, something happens and it goes chikung, chikung. And it kind of goes into this place where freeform starts to happen. And I think that that's probably how we got a good final edit. Each of us kind of riffing off of each other. Hmm. And I was an improv performer in Theater Sports New York Improv Company for mm-hmm. four or five years. And so that's a comfortable place for me. And I think that that was one of the things that made this, it made it work. Yeah. Well, I love it. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Some of the performances that you've done or projects that you've done recently in the civics arena, Mm -hmm. you had a really fun take on, as I said, Vice President Harris and Keeping the Faith. You Mm -hmm. narrated the Young Readers edition of her book, The Truths We Hold. You had a cameo as Hillary Clinton in Mm -hmm. Presidential Conversations. Mm -hmm. You voiced Cleopatra in the audio edition of Stacey Schiff's Cleopatra, A Life. Yes. I'm wondering what it's like as a performer to embody all of these different incredible female leaders. Tell me about that. Wow. Um, It's made me aware of, wow, how would I describe this? The complex web that women have to navigate Mm. who are in leadership positions or who aspire to leadership positions. Mm. The first one I encountered was that Stacey Schiff book, Cleopatra. And it really was one of the first biographies that was not from a singularly male point of view. Mm. I really got a chance to see or feel the forces that were at work. And she transcended that. And some of the notable things, too, that I think are more associated with female leaders than male leaders. Mm -hmm. And that is when there is a crisis situation, Mm -hmm. famine, 
Mm-hmm. She opened up the granaries and gave it to the peasants. She was like, here's the grain, eat, which held everybody together. And I do think you get a little bit more of that kind of impulse blended in to the leadership style of a woman. Hmm. And the way women leaders are mm. sort of attacked or undercut is very similar when you go from person to person. Interesting. In presidential conversations, George has found a way to thread this needle that I think is really honorable. What I love about it is that it is not mean. No. Isn't it great? Mm-hmm. I love the way it's like gentle correction. <laughs> totally. As opposed to, you know, th- there's not a saber being rattled or wielded. Yeah. And it actually focuses a lot on the positive qualities of the presidents. Mm-hmm. So it almost really, I think, focuses on them yeah. more so. And I love that. And I do think, you know, it comes to play when you start to look at women who come into a space like a leadership space, like the presidency. How are they treated? How does that cause them to respond? And what can be gained? What can we learn from that? Mm-hmm. I thought there was a lot to be gained from this. I think so, too. So it's really wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. And Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so glad. (laughs) Like I said, I'm so glad to hear your voice. It's so nice to hear my friend's voice. Yeah. As I mentioned, the Valentine-themed video for Keeping the Faith, which I also just love, features Cleo's heart art gallery, And it's my pleasure to welcome the artist herself, the co-creator of the Social Contract podcast, the artist, Cleo. Cleo, welcome to the Social Contract. And I'm so excited for this episode because I truly, actually, deeply, genuinely love Valentine's Day. So I love that this is like a Valentine's love fest. It's one of my favorite. I know it's a mass marketed, totally mass-produced holiday, but I don't care. I'm making it my own, a celebration of all things love, so. I'm crazy about Valentine's as well. I remember uh, the first time after George and I got married, we started making homemade hearts for Valentine's as opposed to going out and buying them. And the first year, I actually didn't have time. So I was in my office and I found a red folder and cut it up and wrote the words, if I didn't have you, I would have a hole in my heart. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So when I saw Jill Biden last year, she put a bunch of hearts all over the White House lawn and she had Joe come out drinking his coffee of the morning and showed him all the hearts. It just made you fall in love with it all again. And so I decided I would do a, a gallery of hearts for George. And so I did eight different hearts and I put them up on the windows in our library and surprised him. And so not only did he get to see them, but then everybody else did. You could see the lights gleaming through the red. It was just, um, everybody really enjoyed it. I love that. Oh, yeah. We've always had that kind of fun. And this whole collaboration that we've had has just augmented that. And that's kind of the secret of Valentine's and the secret of kind of our hearts. I, You guys are like, this is so great. This is like the uh, total epitome of Valentine's love. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me when you first started drawing. Sure. I think that I've always kind of had a little bit of an artistic eye. One of um, my family friends, once I, I actually wrote her a poem for letting me stay with her over a summer. 
And um, she told me I was way too creative to be an attorney, which I disagree <laughs> about. <laughs> but um, anyway, in high school, I did a cartoon called Good Times. And so um, I'd gotten away from it for a number of years, just with everything, you know, being busy and everything along those lines. But George kept buying me sketch pads because he had never seen me draw and he'd always heard people talk about it. Anyway, so a couple of years ago, he finally got me an iPad Pro and one of those pencils that you could draw on it. And we were sitting there during the middle of a snowstorm and I just Hmm. started again. And I started looking for things that I wanted to draw. Then, of course, he wasn't going to stop there. He got me chalk (laughs) and I loved it. I love the feeling and the texture of it. One of the things I do is just smear it with my hands and it just gives you that great feeling. And now I've gone on to acrylics. It's just such a relaxing way of using your time. It's kind of a different part of your brain. Hmm. You can spend five minutes and you feel completely refreshed, which I think is incredibly important during this period of time. Sure. Well, tell me when you first realized that you could use a piece of chalk or a paintbrush to affect change. Well, I wanted to do something positive. You know, everything around us seems so negative over the past couple of years. And so the word art that I use in the presidential conversations, one, it's bright and vibrant, but it makes people stop, Mm. they step back, and they focus. And then they reflect on what the words mean. And then that understanding, you can see it when their eyes lock on to the word when they finally see it. And in presidential conversations, you know, every president that we've had has given us a certain amount of respect. And I really wanted that quality. We might not respect everything that they do, but there's one thing that we would always walk away from that person, such as truth or courage, which are um, two of the word art pieces. And so we wanted the people to remember that. That's how the trust we have, you know, came through in the president's, in the office of the president. I love the color and the vibrancy and the whimsy. It really makes people feel good and happy. And that told me that. Totally. It makes me feel good and happy for sure. You have been doing more word art, which is essential to presidential conversations. And Uh, George told me that you've painted skateboards for presidential conversations for kids. So why don't you tell us about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. And this has been a lot of fun. So um, I've done presidents on skateboards and I've also done a lot of the word art. So as you know, the kids always have all the decals on their skateboards and they're always very proud of them. So I use this basically an outline of a skateboard and put a number of the different types of qualities, again, that we were getting back to in presidential conversations and tried to make it a little more funky. (laughs) Um, And so that was, it's really been great collaborating with George on doing that. It's just been a lot of fun. What I think really resonates about the Presidential Conversations Project, of which this podcast is a part, is how different kinds of creative mediums, music, prose, art, audio dramatizations, video, All of those mediums are coming together to get the message of the importance of the social contract across. I am definitely feeling the love. I hope you are too. And we could use a lot more love in this world, not least in our political landscape. In preparing for this episode, I have learned some unexpectedly touching presidential love stories, and I want to share a somewhat surprising one with you. I never imagined Ulysses S. Grant as a particularly romantic figure, 
He was a hard-drinking, cigar-chomping Civil War general, and he was just as gruff when he was president. And not only did he smoke cigars, he did actually chew them. Okay. <laughs> but his love letters to his wife, Julia, one of our first ladies, were remarkably tender. In one of his letters to her, he enclosed a lock of his hair. Another contained a wildflower he'd picked for her. Now, Julia had a lazy eye, this is true. She was very self-conscious about it. She even posed for photographs turned sideways. Julia was about to have her condition addressed surgically when she received a letter containing these words from her husband, Ulysses. Did I not see you and fall in love with you with these same eyes? I like them just as they are. And that is true love accepting one another just as we are. I don't think that needs to be limited to romantic love. It seems to me there's a lot more room for accepting each other just as we are, an expression of fellow American love, the social contract. We're coming to the close of our second episode, Keeping the Faith, but before I say goodbye for now, I will share a closing quote, as I will every episode. Today's quote comes from our current First Lady, Dr. Jill Biden, who appears to be pretty loved up with President Biden, I have to say. On Valentine's Day, she planted a hand-painted wooden heart on the White House lawn, and along with it, wooden cutouts of the first pets, a puppy named Commander and a kitten named Willow. Inside that heart was a quote from the Bible, Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, to be exact. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Oh, what an uplifting note on which to end this love-themed Valentine of an episode. I hope, like me, you're already looking forward to episode three, which comes out on March 28th. We always release on the last Monday of the month. In our next episode, we bring you part one of a special two-parter, The Last Temptation of Trump. How's that for an intriguing title? I can't wait. I want to thank our very special guest, Robin Miles. As always, Stephen DeRosa. And of course... George S. Corey, and Cleo. If you enjoyed this podcast, it's a safe bet you'll really enjoy George's book, Presidential Conversations, featuring art by Cleo. Available in hardcover and digital, and coming soon in paperback. You can also hear Stephen voice 18 different presidents in the Presidential Conversations audiobook on Audible, directed by none other than Robin Miles. Learn more about George S. Corey at georgescorey.com. And check out Cleo's heart art and a whole lot more at theartistcleo.com. You can also stream the Keeping the Faith music video on those sites as well. We'll give you all those links in the show notes. And if you take a look at our episode transcript, you'll be able to enjoy some of Cleo's heart-themed creations there. Most of all, I want to thank our listeners. We're so glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow the Social Contract Podcast, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We hope this will become one of them. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you'd rate and review us. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MyTSCPodcast. 
This has been the Social Contract Podcast, created by George S. Corey and Cleo. Hosted and executive produced by Tavia Gilbert. Senior producer, Katie Flood. Music courtesy of Listen Audio. Mix and master by Kayla Elrod. This has been a podcast from Listen Audio in association with TalkBox Productions. Thanks for listening.